The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Thanks, Pastor Hayden, for that prayer. Appreciate that. And Justin, that worked really well to put the mic under the mask, so thanks for that good tip. Uh, It's been a while since I've been here, so good morning. And uh, I just want to always thank you for holding my credentials. Your support allows me to do the ministry that I do, so I appreciate it a lot. And also thank you for supporting Resonate Global Mission, so I also greatly appreciate that as well. So I'm kind of celebrating this month because it was about 10 years ago that uh, we left southern Alberta. Went first to Saskatoon because I said I would uh, chair the classes meeting there and then continued on to Hamilton. Uh, And then we lived uh, at the corner of Rymel and West Fifth for our first stay here and then discovered New Hope Church and moved down to East Hamilton. So that's how we ended up there. And then uh, at this time, so just a little bit of background, it's also the anniversary of 9-11 now, 20 years. And uh, after 9-11, our church denomination, and uh, particularly Christian Forum World Missions, as Resonate was called at that time, thought, we need to do more with Muslims. So the church kind of woke up after 9-11 and said, we're not really, we don't know much about our Muslim neighbor, we're not doing a lot of ministry with Muslims, and in fact, in terms of the whole missional picture, really only a small percentage of missionaries were working among unreached Muslim people groups. In fact, the majority of missionaries were working with already established churches around the world, and nobody was really focused on this unique population. So at that time, this is about 10 years ago, uh, we had a task force called AMAM, Advancing Ministry Among Muslims. So that's where I came into this. It was called Amam, and at that time they thought Amam and Imam are a little cl- too close. Maybe people will get confused. Of course, an Imam is a, a leader of a mosque. And they thought, we need to get a new name. So we came up with the name Salam Project. Salam meaning peace in Arabic. And right from the beginning, the, th- the three main uh, foci of Salam Project were uh, education and uh, respectful witness to our Muslim neighbor and interfaith dialogue. So we continued doing that for about three, four years, and then we had some changes happen uh, in world missions and the denomination, and we decided we would focus more just in Canada. And that became Salaam 2.0. So it became a focus just in Canada, reaching out to our Muslim neighbor. Uh, The good thing about that was we were able to focus Uh, through partnerships with groups like Loving Muslims Together. It used to be called the Canadian Network of Ministries to Muslims. Uh, We also um, began to do uh, more interfaith in connection with the Canadian Council of Churches. So we were able to do connections with Muslims in a number of different areas. Then, 2017, when did we have the new mission agency? 2018, 2017, you know world missions and home missions came together. And at the time, it was quite a process to bring these two agencies together. But what it did was, it really opened the door for the ministry that I'm focused on now, and that's diaspora ministry. 
because the problem was that home missions was here domestically in North America, focusing on campus ministry and church planting. World missions was more focused on cross-cultural ministry, but overseas. But there was this unique population of people coming from all over the world to Canada and the United States who really were, would fit cross-cultural ministry because they were often of different ethnicity, culture, religion. So they were more world missions kind of people, but they were here in Canada. So you can see there was a gap. Nobody was really focusing on those people. So that's where we discovered um, this, this new opportunity, and we said, let's, let's do something, and we'll call it Journeys into Friendship. And Journeys into Friendship will be our way of supporting practitioners and leaders and, and coaching them and helping them in this area of diaspora ministry. And if you're wondering, uh, what is diaspora ministry? Well, it's really ministry with anybody who has been displaced in the world, come to Canada, and of course we're a binational church, so also the U.S., and to some extent, actually, this is a global phenomenon, and, and the work is also global. So it's any person who's been displaced for some reason, whether by force or by choice. So it could include international students, it could include refugees, it could include uh, migrants, could include economic immigrants. And so the whole idea was that we would develop this network and that we would support people in this ministry so that it grows, so that we do it well, so that people hear about Jesus, but in a holistic way, and that became Journeys into Friendship. And Journeys into Friendship is really based on, on the passage that Pastor Hayden read um, in John 15, 15. This is, this is the kind of core of it, because this is what we call barrier-crossing friendship. And those barriers, are, as you've heard, are race, particularly in the U.S. context, ethnicity, culture, and religion. And so in some ways, that spirit of interfaith work continues on in that last barrier-crossing and so let's, uh, let's turn to this passage because everything we do has a biblical base. Everything we do is thought out theologically and missiologically. Because we really want to have something that's going to not only support practitioners, and in many cases practitioners doing diaspora ministry have felt alone because this is such a new thing. How can we support them? How can we um, bring the gospel in love? How can we uh, share the hope we have with these different populations in a good way. And so we really came to focus on friendship, but not friendship, you know, I have to always say, this is not friendship evangelism. That's the old paradigm. I think in John 15, 15, Jesus is talking about friendship for the sake of friendship, that we are called today to friendship because Jesus has made us him, his friend first. That's the kind of friendship we're talking about here. So I just want to make sure that's really clear. We are not instrumentalizing friendship or weaponizing friendship. We are simply obeying Jesus' command to be friends. And so as I think about this um, exegetically, uh, uh, of course I was trained in this sermon process. What is the problem in our text? So looking at all of John 15, and I'm going to jump around a little bit in John 15 
um, throughout the whole chapter, but just looking a little bit past the text that we had for this morning into verse 18, it said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So that's kind of the core problem, isn't it? it it's hatred, right? We know that goes back to Genesis 3. We know um, that you know, we are fallen human beings. Uh, right away, uh, we see Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. We see hatred come into the world. And we continue to see that today, whether it's the proliferation of hate groups today, fed by social media, or whether it's even simply a, a, maybe a milder form of it, a fear of the other or indifference, we see this problem of the human condition popping up again and again. And I always say one of our good reform doctrines of total depravity is one of the most evidential doctrines because you just see it everywhere in the world today. And so Jesus is really talking about overcoming this hatred as he talks with his disciples. And we continue to focus on overcoming this hatred today, don't we? You know, one of the, one of the programs that we have as part of Journeys into Friendship is something called Healing Hearts, Transforming Nations uh, that comes out of the Rwandan genocide. And one of our missionaries, George Device from Ukraine, has been using this particular method of of reconciliation uh, in eastern Ukraine, where there's a lot of trauma. Uh, but really, it comes out of that genocide. And I remember back when I did my missionary training, 1992, I guess, in Colorado Springs, there were a number of families there from different mission agencies, and they were all going to different parts of the world. And there was this one couple who was going to Rwanda. And I remember they, they had these beautiful slides they were the only couple at the training that showed us slides of their work. I guess it's because they had been there and come back and they were getting some training. But um, they were beautiful pictures. There were these um, Christians wearing white robes on these beautiful green hills. I've never been to Rwanda, but there were beautiful green hills and they were going to church and there was a baptism. That was 1992, so not long after that. Was it 1994 that this huge genocide broke out? And uh, I heard that this couple had ended up leaving the country safely, but not without a lot of stress. They had had to hide in their apartment. They had to you know, run one of those gauntlets of checkpoints to get to the airport, very stressful and traumatic. But the good news is that out of that experience, um, we've learned a lot about trauma, healing, and reconciliation. And it all comes down to the cross and the power of Jesus on the cross. That's what brings that kind of healing to us. And so we're continuing to implement some of these programs like Healing Hearts Transforming Nations in 2022, and we're going to have four workshops um, with Healing Hearts Transforming Nations. So the whole idea in Journeys into Friendship is that we are um, following Jesus' lead in this with this problem of hatred, with this problem of tribalism, we could call it, um, with this problem uh, that we are often looking after ourselves, that we're often watching for our own community and not really thinking about the other. You know, classically, of course, in terms of friendship, uh, the philosophers were somewhat doubtful about friendship. For example, Aristotle. He didn't think that an old person and a young person could be friends. He thought they just didn't have enough in common. 
that friendship had to be based on having a lot in common. Um, and so as we think about friendship with people who we don't necessarily know very well, again, with neighbors from these different, you know, race and ethnicity and, and religion, culture, I mean, how do we overcome those barriers, the barriers that Aristotle himself talked about? Well, I think the only way we can do that is, is through Jesus and through this John 15, 15 friendship. Because the fact is, Jesus says to the disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, the Greek word there is doulos, so could also be slaves, because a servant or a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And Jesus also says, you did not choose me, this is God's sovereign work. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. That's verse 16. So this is pretty important. First of all, there's two things here that are super important. The first one is this, that if Jesus has made us his friend, right, holy God, and we are sinful humanity, then he's overcome the biggest barrier possible, hasn't he? Through his death on the cross, through atonement of our sins, and then his resurrection in triumph. Jesus has crossed that barrier and made us his friend. Just think about that. What a gift that is of God's grace to us, that he's made us his friend. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is this. He's made us his friend, but for a purpose. Jesus doesn't say, I have made you, and I've made you my friend. Go in peace. Jesus says, I have made you my friend to go and bear fruit. And so what is that fruit? Fruit that will last, he says. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. God will be with you because you are his friend. This is my command, love each other. So what is the fruit that Jesus is asking his disciples to do? He's given this tremendous gift of grace, but he also asks something of us. He says, go and bear fruit, and this is my command, love each other. Love each other. And then Jesus tells us how to do that. He says, so I'm going back to the beginning now. I said I would jump around a little bit. Uh, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Okay, we are connected to the vine. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So where there is no love, Jesus will cut off that branch. But while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Some versions have abide in me. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So we can only live out this command of Jesus, this barrier-crossing friendship, unless we remain in Jesus and abide in Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then, of course, this passage that we all know so well is John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him or her, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me... You can do nothing. 
I'm reminded uh, when I read this passage of a missionary conference that I went to in uh, 2017 in Chiang Mai, Thailand. This was really an amazing conference. I did not realize until I got there what an amazing conference it was. And the reason is because it was about 800 people in this massive conference center in Chiang Mai. And about, it was about 50-50 gender-wise, so male, female, 50-50. Um, it also had about 50-50, if I remember right, um, in terms of people, representatives coming from mission agencies in the developed world and from the less developed world. 50-50, and then about a third or a quarter were former Muslims, so what we call Muslim background believers, who were now, you know, doing ministry and missions for Christ. And uh, it also was wonderful in that there were a number of evangelical leaders there, somebody like Dudley Woodbury. Um, if you were really into Muslim ministry, you would know that name. Uh, and so it was really quite amazing. Uh, and during the conference, a number of times they made reference to the, the uh, 1910 Edinburgh Conference. So in 1910, there was a conference in Edinburgh where all the leaders of all the mission agencies of the world came together to strategize. And it was uh, mostly males that look a little like me, <laughs> older, older white males. Those were all the delegates. And so they really wanted to point out, look at the difference between 1910 Edinburgh and this conference in 2017 in Chiang Mai. Look how the church has changed and how missions has changed. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was they said, we are not going to come with a lot of strategy. You know, you go to conferences, you probably have this. Uh, you go to a conference and they, you know, they have a they have a method to follow, or they want to share some new information, or they want to teach you to do something. They said, nope, we're not going to do that this time. We are just simply going to abide in Jesus. John 15. We're going to simply remain in Jesus, and during this conference, we are going to grow in our relationship, in our friendship with Jesus. And of course, you might wonder, well, why? Of course, we paid a lot of money, you know, sent off to this conference in Chiang Mai. Uh, what is going on? But they said, listen, we're looking back at this 1910 conference. In this 1910 Edinburgh conference, these mission strategists made all kinds of plans. They said, we're going to go and we're going to evangelize here, and we're going to reach the nations there, and we're going to go to these people groups here, and they called them in those days heathen. We don't do that anymore, but that was the language they used then. And they made all these plans in 1910. So now, if you think back into history, 1910, four years later, what happened? There was a, a huge world war, right? World War I. And then, at the end of World War I, what happened next? Massive pandemic, right? We're a little more familiar with that now. Spanish influenza. So all of these plans and strategies didn't come to pass, or at least very few of them did. And so what they said to us was, you can come up with plans and methodologies and do different things, but first of all, be rooted in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Work on your friendship with Jesus. 
Because whatever happens, whatever plans you make, they don't really matter in the long term. What matters is your relationship with Jesus and your friendship with Jesus. And then God will show you the way. The Holy Spirit will lead, even through pandemics and troubles and struggles. So remain in Jesus, abide in Jesus. That was our key message. And really, the message of John 15, isn't it? This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Remain in me. No matter what happens, I will be with you. But remain in me. So let me conclude now with just a couple thoughts from Brother John of Taze. So I think in this, in this community, you probably have heard of Taze, the center in France. Uh, Taze is very known for the worship that they do, um, kind of simple, um, contemplative worship. I've been to some uh, L'Arche events. L'Arche often uh, attends Taizé worship. What people don't always realize is Taizé isn't only known for its worship. For years and years, youth have come to Taizé to learn about Jesus, sometimes just out of curiosity, sometimes just to be with other youth. But um, for many years now, it's been a center for youth to f- explore spirituality and Christianity and to find Jesus. And so uh, Brother John of Taze has written about friendship, and he has a couple of, uh, couple of insights into this passage of John 15 and friendship that I want to share with you. So the first implication, there's three actually. The first implication is that friendship the kind of friendship we're talking about, the kind of friendship that comes out of our relationship with Jesus, means that Aristotle's theory is not correct in this community. We can be friends with everybody, no matter how great the difference, because we have one thing in common, we have Jesus. So no matter what kinds of differences arise in our community, in our congregation, We are tied together by Jesus, and we can be friends. Sometimes it's challenging. Community is never easy. But that friendship that Jesus has given us makes us friends with all around us. That's the first thing that Brother John says. And here's the second one. So that's more within the walls. The other part to this kind of barrier-crossing friendship is Jesus' friendship means that we can also go out into our communities and be friends again with people who we might not necessarily feel like we have a lot in, con- in um, you know, that we might not necessarily say, hey, I'm going to be friends with you right away because we have so much in common. Jesus was friends with tax collectors and sinners. And so we can be friends with the people in our community, even if they look different than us, if they sound different than us, if they act different than us, if they come from a very different culture, even a different religion, we can still be friends. We may may not exactly have Jesus in common at that stage, but we have the spirit, right, of Jesus in those relationships, helping us to relate, helping us to be curious, helping us to listen and learn, because this is our world, and our world is changing. And our world needs love. And Jesus commands it. This is my command, love each other. And then one last one that Brother John points out, and that is that this, uh, coming back again to this 
commonality in Jesus that we have as Christians that we actually have not only here, but all over the world. We have a global church. And right away, if you meet somebody from another country who is a Christian, again, could be very different, very different theology, very different worship, very different culture, but you automatically have a friend because you share Jesus. And so we have this tremendous community that's global now, a tremendous Christian community where we are friends. And that ties us together, and it ties us together in times of stress, it ties us together in, in our mission work to the point where we now, you know, it's from everywhere to everywhere in missions. It's no longer just simply, although we continue to send people overseas, but now we're receiving people too. And all kinds of amazing new things are happening, happening in mission work because of this global community and this global friendship. And we are a richer church and little by little, just like at this conference in 2017 in Chiang Mai, little by little, God is at work, and we are reflecting more and more that picture from Revelation 21 of all the nations gathered around the throne of God. And that continues to be our work. And that work is possible because of your support. So I just want to thank you again. Ten years almost we've been doing this. So I want to thank you. I want to pray for you that we would continue together as friends of Jesus. So would you pray with me, please? Father God, I am so thankful, we are so thankful that you have made us friends through Jesus Christ at a great sacrifice that your son died on a cross so that we could be friends. So help us to follow your word this morning as we go out to produce fruit, fruit that will last Help us to share that friendship, that great gift of grace and love that you've given to us as we love each other, as we love those outside in our neighborhoods and in the world. Continue to lead us with the power of your Holy Spirit that the name of Jesus would be glorified. And help us each day to abide in Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.